Father in heaven, we, we, we thank you for the precious time of worship, Lord, as we gather together, Lord, to, to magnify and to glorify you. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for our time here today. And as my son was saying in his prayer, Lord, it's, there's a lot going on in our community here at Cry Out. And, and Father, sometimes we just, well, many times we don't understand how you work in our lives. And many times, Lord, we want a reason, but we need a resource. We need you. And even if you gave us a reason for what's going on in our lives, we still need a resource. So, Father, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. And, Father, I, I, I stand right now. I pray for Julian and Taryn Land, Lord, that you would extend your hand of grace and comfort, love, Lord, to them right now, Father. And, Lord, that you would just love on them and that we would stand in prayer. We are hurting with them, and we are praying for them. Encourage them this morning, Lord. It, I can't imagine, Lord, and just, just speak to their hearts today. Be with their family as well. I pray for uh, Armando Hernandez, Irene's husband, Lord, as, as I, I saw him this past Thursday, Lord, that, Lord, you would just be with him and bring things to his mind, memory, Lord, to his memory, Lord, to remember his wife and his family. So many things going on, Lord. As my son echoed, Lord, our ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, Father, we just trust you. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and you, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Let's praise him. He is worthy. Amen. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, turn to 1 John, the epistle, not the Gospel John, but the epistle John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 is today's text. We have this also, the outlines on the, on the Cry Out Bible app, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Again, that's our text. We're now in part six of our series, Authentic. Say authentic. Now, before you guys know this, right before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text which was verses 12 through 17. I give you four points, but remember in verses 12 through 14, John ex John's expression of assurance of salvation and growth in salvation, say growth in salvation, provides the basis for his appeal for separation from the world as further evidence that we who call ourselves Christians, that we belong to God. And the first point of last week's text was the warning, say that, the warning, that's in verse 15, and he warns us not to love the world. When he says the world, he's speaking of the evil world system that is opposed to God. The second point was the wickedness. Say that. The wickedness, that's in verse 16. And what he does, he, he lists three elements or three forces of wickedness. The lust of the eyes, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The third point was the worthlessness. Say that. The worthlessness, verse 17a. And he says simply the world and its desires will what? Pass away, say pass away. And the fourth point was the will, say the will. That's in verse 17b, he says, but the man who does the will of God lives slash abides forever. That believers, we are called, right? We are defined as and called as ones who do the will of God. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is the truth. Say that, 
respond with great enthusiasm, say the truth. The truth means reality. It means fact. And truth is what God says something really is. For example, sin is whatever God says sin is. Salvation is whatever God says salvation is. Heaven and hell is whatever God says heaven and hell is. Grace is whatever God says grace is. Marriage is whatever God says marriage is. Can I get an amen? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Everything with the Christian life begins with the truth. And we cannot know God. We cannot know Jesus. We cannot be saved without knowing the truth. We cannot grow spiritually. We cannot stand strong in this world. We cannot witness. We cannot resist temptation or Satan without the truth. And this is how important and how valuable and essential the truth is. That we know as believers that God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. The Bible, God's word, is a word of truth. And this is why John places a supreme importance on the truth. And it's no surprise that Satan's greatest attack is against the truth. And that has been his way from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He tells Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And you see, his strategy is to infiltrate the church with lies, and he does this by, by planting false teachers into the church. Also on Christian television, on YouTube, seminaries, Bible college, this is why we need to be grounded, say grounded, and guided, say guided, and continue to grow in the truth of God's word. In last week's text, John warned us to not love the world, this evil world system. In today's text, he gives us the sec a second warning, which means what he's saying this, watch out for false teachers. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, it really matters what church you attend. You guys with me? What or who you listen to, what you read, and what you allow into your mind. It does matter. It matters. There's a lot of poison out there with sugar on it. You guys with me? Four points from our text. If you ready, say yes. Number one is this, Antichrist. Write that down. Say Antichrist again. And let's look at verse 18a. And John says, dear children. Now, we know he says dear children. He's speaking of all believers, those who are saved. Dear children, this is the last hour. And I want to stop there and say last hour. And what John, you know, what does John mean by, by the last hour? Well, it's the period between the first and second coming of Jesus. And John lived in the last hour, and we as well remain in the last hour. And it has been growing in intensity ever since, right? So let's read on. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, in other words, he's saying as you have heard, you know this. You know this, guys. He's saying you know this. That the Antichrist is what? Coming. Now, the word Antichrist only occurs in John's epistles. Uh, it's mentioned here in this verse and in verse 22, in chapter 4, verse 3, and also in 2 John chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 7. Now, in the Greek, the word Antichrist is Antichristos, it means against Christ or instead of. The prefix anti is opposite or in place of. So follow me here. 
The Antichrist will be someone who wants to replace Christ. He is completely against Christ. He will oppose Christ and anything that has to do with Christ. He will oppose Christian values. He will oppose Christian doctrine. He will oppose the very word, the Bible, the word of God. And what he will do, he will lead the world with an anti-Christian agenda. You guys with me so far? This antichrist is called the lawless one or son of destruction or son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He's also called the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. He's called the prince who is to come in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. He's called the beast in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through eight. Listen, this, this Antichrist will be a political one, get this now, one world leader and will rise to power and he will be empowered and directed by Satan and have supernatural power and worldwide influence. He will also have his sidekick, the false prophet. Say Antichrist. Say Satan. Say false prophet. I want you to get this. The Antichrist, his prophet, and Satan, they form an unholy trinity. You guys with me? So stay with me. After the church has been raptured, that will begin the seven-year tribulation period. And the first three and a half years will be a period of peace and security, but it's false peace and it's false security. And people are going to be deceived be deceived into thinking that they have peace and security. And the Antichrist will have a peace plan, and ten nations will surrender their authority to him. He, the Antichrist, then will form a treaty, make a covenant with Israel to protect them and permit them to rebuild the temple. You guys with me so far? The Jews will hail him, the Antichrist, as their Messiah who has finally come. And he, the Antichrist, will temporarily solve the Middle East crisis and Israel will rebuild the temple while there is peace in the Middle East and throughout the world. But again, it's what? False peace. Now listen, at the end of those three and a half years, he, the Antichrist, will reveal his true character and what he will do, he will, listen now, break that treaty and break that covenant and commit what is called the abomination of desolation. And he will take over their temple, and listen now, then proclaim and exalt himself above all that is called God. And what he will do, he will organize a world church that will worship him. Second Thessalonians, write that down, chapter 2, verse 4. And Paul writes this, he, the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now listen, on that day, on that day, horrible, horrible persecution will break out against the Jews and all who were left behind. And for the next three and a half years, known as the Great Tribulation, known as the Lord's Day, and the time of Jacob's trouble will be horrific, to say the least. 
and he will put to death anyone who will not worship him or take the mark of the beast. And you see, he will control the world's economic system and demand that people take the mark of the beast in order to buy and to sell. And you'll find that in Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 through 17. That's the Antichrist, the Antichrist. Okay, so let's, let's read on, verse 18b. Even now, John says, many Antichrists, plural, not singular now, but plural, have come. This is how we know it is the what? Last hour. So John's saying prior to the rise of the Antichrist, many Antichrists will appear in the spirit of the Antichrist. And that was true in John's day, even truer today, right? Warren Wiersbe said this, and I love what he said. The spirit of Antichrist is behind every false doctrine and every religious substitute for the realities Christians have in Christ. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. It will eventually lead to the appearance of a satanic superman. In Mark chapter 13, write that down, verses 22 and 23. Mark 13, 22 and 23. Jesus, what he does there, he warns his followers about false Christ, false messiahs, and false prophets who will arise before he returns. And these false Christ, false prophets will be working signs and wonders. And he says this, for false messiahs slash false Christ and false prophets will, will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, listen now, if possible, even the elect. In other words, they're so good, these false prophets, false Christ, messiahs, they're so good that they would even deceive the elect if it was not for the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells the elect. So he says this, Jesus says, so be on your guard. Say, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. It's as if Jesus is saying, just because something is religious doesn't mean it's of God. Just because something has church on it doesn't mean it's of God. Just because someone comes in the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's of God. You guys with me? Now I want to point out something. Go back to the text. Even now many antichrists have come. Say many. The Bible never, never uses the word many as it relates to true preachers. It reserves the word many for false prophets. And perhaps because there'll be more false prophets than there are true preachers and teachers. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Truth always lines up with the minority. It does. Truth always lines up with the minority. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament, right? It's true throughout human history. It's true today. It's true today. Verse 19, if you're still with me, say amen. They, speaking of the Antichrist, false prophets, those teaching heresies, known as the, what, the Gnostics in the church. And you know, it's interesting that in the history of cults, false teachers and anti-Christian religious systems, that in most cases, listen now, you will find that their founders started out in the local church. In the local church. So he says they went out from us, say out from us. Now, John's not talking about people who change fellowships, okay? But people 
who forsake fellowships, those who defect from the fellowship. And John affirms this. Let's read on. But they did not really belong to us. Did you get that? In other words, they were not true believers. They were wolves in sheep's clothing, not of the same gospel, not of the same doctrine. He says they are not of what? Of us. So let's read on. For, that word for, what he does, introduces an explanation. For if they had belonged to us, John says, they would have what? Remained with us, but their going, going out, showed that none of them, what? Belong to us. In other words, what he's saying, they appeared to be genuine followers of Christ. They knew the Christian lingo. They, they looked the part. They sang the same songs. They even hung out with other believers, but they, were, they weren't genuine. They were superficial. They didn't possess true spiritual life. They were only professors of the faith, not possessors of the faith. They rejected Christ, the church, and the truth of the word of God. Now, if they were authentic, if they were genuine believers, if they belonged to the faith, John said what? They would have what remained with us. They would have stayed. They would have continued in the fellowship, but they didn't. They didn't. Therefore, they don't belong. They were never truly saved. They have a different spirit. They have a different gospel. They have a different Jesus. They didn't remain. They didn't persevere. Got that? They didn't persevere. Now, I want you to get this and listen. True faith always has the quality of perseverance. I'm going to say that again. True faith, say true faith, always has the quality of perseverance. Listen, those who are truly saved will remain true to Jesus until the end. That's the way it is. They will persevere in the pursuit of holiness. They will persevere in a walk of obedience, in following Jesus, they will persevere until the end. Now, now listen, listen. It's not perseverance that saves us, okay? You guys got that? But perseverance is the characteristic, say characteristic, of those who are truly saved. A true authentic believer, okay, as true authentic believers, we don't persevere to be saved. We persevere because what? We are saved. You see, and get this now, Truth and time go hand in hand. Got it? Truth and time go hand in hand. So I want to give you two lessons before we move forward here to the next point. The first one is this. Examine the Scriptures. Examine the Scriptures. We should never let our guard down. We should always check what is said from this pulpit and other pulpits, other preaching and teaching formats and venues. We need to check it out, right? We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. I love this about the Bereans. And, and listen to what it says. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they, Bereans, received the message with great eagerness. And listen to what it says. And examined, say examined, the Scriptures Every day to see if what Paul, we're talking about Paul, what Paul said was true. Listen, friends, we need to examine what's said on the pulpit to make sure it's correct, that it's not taken out of context, that it's not a pretext. Are you guys with me? 
The second lens is this. Not only examine the scriptures, examine ourselves. Examine ourselves to see if we are truly of the faith. And that's the whole theme of John's epistle, right? To make sure that what? We are authentic believers. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We covered all of 2 Corinthians months ago, right? Paul says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Why? To see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, unless, of course, Paul says, you fail the test. So question, do we pass or fail the test? It's good to examine our lives and see if we are truly children of God. Because the church is filled, filled with people who look the part, right? Who talk the lingo, but who are only superficial followers. Say antichrist. Number two is anointing. Write that down. Say that anointing. You, got, you guys are with me this morning, right? All right? Okay. All right. Verse, verse 20. Verse 20. He says, but you. But you. Who's that? Believers. True believers. Have an anointing from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus. Jesus the one who sent the Holy Spirit. And all of you, say all of us, know the truth. You guys got that? I'm going to read it again. But you, all believers, have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you, all believers, you know the truth. Now there are some preachers and some believers that speak of the anointing like, like they alone have it. That they alone have the anointing that's only for special people to receive it. If you're safe, say amen. The Word of God here tells us that you have the anointing. Did you get that? John tells us that all believers have this anointing. This anointing is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. Now in context, say context, because context is everything, right? Right? In context, it refers to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Got it? In our lives. So here's a lesson. The Holy Spirit... I love this, is our resident truth teacher. The Holy Spirit is our resident truth teacher. Let's go back to the text. But you, believers, have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you believers know the what? Know the truth. That anointing is the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, listen now, that it helps us in context here, that it helps us discern truth from error. And when he does, he exposes falsehood, right? Falsehood, so we don't fall prey to false doctrine and to false teaching. You see, friends, we have the capacity. Now that the Spirit of God indwells us, we have the capacity to recognize what is true and what is not. And because the Spirit of God lives in us, an alarm goes off, alarm goes off when something doesn't add up when something is not right, when something's not doctrinally sound. Amen? So we have the anointing, the indwelling Spirit of God in us. Let's, let's, let's read on, verses 21 through 23. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Because why? Because of the anointing of what? The Holy Spirit. And because no lie comes from the truth. And I want to stop there. 
Now, this is not saying that we know all truth. All truth. We won't know all truth until we get to heaven. If you believe that, say amen. I've been preaching for almost 31 years. 31 I've been your pastor for almost 31 years. And the more that I study, the more that I, I learn about God's word, the more I realize how much I don't know. That's how amazing and vast and great God's word is. What John is saying is that we know the essential foundational truths of the Christian faith. Truth rooted, grounded, and centered in the work and person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. The essentials are what? The incarnation, right? The virgin birth, the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is in fact who? God, salvation by grace, not by work, salvation through Jesus alone, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel and the Trinity. Those are essential truths. That's what he's talking about, right? These are the main essentials that we should understand as believers and not only understand, but believe. And they keep us grounded, not only grounded, but they give evidence that we are true believers. Got it? That we believe it? that we're committed to it, and don't waver from it, right? And I want to tell you this. John's purpose for writing this was not to inform true believers, but to confirm them in the truth that they already knew. He says you should already know, know the true essentials of the Christian faith. And they had learned that no lie comes from the truth. That there can never be, listen now, there can never be a mixture of truth and error. Never. Verse 22, who is the liar? Well, false teachers, right? In context, right? Those who are pursuing a false gospel or pushing a false gospel. You see, to deny truth is to embrace a lie. Then he says this, who is the liar? It is the man who denies, get this now, who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is who? Antichrist. I was referring to false teachers, the spirit of the Antichrist who oppose true Christ, the true Christ. He denies the Father and the Son. Did you get that? He denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has a Father. Then he says this, whoever acknowledges the Son, in other words, the Son's sinless humanity, his eternal deity, his equality with the Father, has the Father also. Listen, to deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny the anointed one, the Messiah, Christ himself, the one promised long ago in the Old Testament, the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's to deny the person and the work, the sinless humanity, and eternal deity of Christ. It's to deny those essential truths. So what John is saying to deny the deity of Jesus Christ is to deny the Father also. You guys with me? I mean, let me question. How many people do you know, especially when you hear those actors and, you know, pop star artists, right, these people who sing and people, you know, who say they believe in God but want nothing to do with Jesus? People say, oh, I, I thank God. I, I believe in God. Really? Well, what about Jesus? You guys with me? What I'm, my point is this. You cannot have the Father unless you have the Son. 
You cannot claim to know the Father without knowing the Son. It's a package deal. Right? Now I want you to write this down. John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7 to make my point. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. And this is what he says. No one. Say no one. Okay, no one mean, in Greek, in Hebrew, means no one. Got it? <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Then he says this. If you really know me, Okay, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do not know him. From now on, you do know him, do know him, and have seen him. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. He says, therefore, whoever confesses before man, I will confess before my father in heaven. Whoever denies me before man on earth, I will deny them before my father, which is in, in heaven. You guys got that? So in order to have the father, you must have the son, Right? There's no other point of access to the Father except by coming through the Son. Amen? Say Antichrist. Say anointing. Number three is abiding. Abiding. Write that down. Abiding. Verse 24. See that what you have heard, heard what? God's word. God's word. Say God's word. From the beginning, when he says from the beginning, he's speaking about when they heard the truth, the gospel, when they were converted to Jesus. Got it? So see that what you have heard, God's word, from the beginning when they got converted, that his word remains slash abides in you. And this is what he says. If it does, say if it does, you also will remain slash abide in the Son and in the, the Father. 112 times, 112 times the word abide is used in the New Testament. 66 times John uses it himself. The word abide is constant. It's, it's, it's continual. In other words, it's every moment of, of every day. So here's our lesson. You ready for the lesson? Our great safety is to abide in the word. Our great safety is to abide in the Word. Now, I want you to write this down. Colossians 3, 16a. Colossians 3, 16a. When I say a, that's the first part of that verse. Paul writes, let the Word, say let the Word of Christ. This is what he says. Richly, richly dwell within you. In the Greek, those words rich, richly dwell means to make its home in your heart. Got it? That it moves in and it stays in. Resides and does not move out. That's the point. You see, one of the safeguards against false teaching and heresies is to continue to abide in God's word. Now, I want to say this, and you got to get this. Abiding in the text here, is in the active voice, which means we need to take action. Okay? It just doesn't happen. You got to do something. You got to make and take time to be in the Word. Yeah? We got to make and take time to be in the Word. It's our personal responsibility, right, to set some time aside 
and to flood our mind and our lives with the very word of God. That's when, we, that's when we put a safeguard up in our lives. Now get this, if we want to be close to God, then God's word must be close to us. And I want to say this, we will, we will be no closer to God than the word of God abiding in us. And if we feel that God has been distant with us, perhaps it's because we have been distant from his word. I also want to point out this, as John writes himself, that we cannot be close to the Father apart from being close to the Son. Go back to the text. If it does, if it does, in other words, the word abiding in us, you also will remain slash abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25. And this is what he promised. He promised us eternal life. Say eternal life. Now the word promise there is a irrevocable guarantee. And this is our confidence, right? Certainty. It's a glorious eternal future with Jesus. That's a good place to say amen. Now I want to say this. As he writes in context here, say context. He says, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. John's emphasis here is that we should abide in the word. Why? Because we have eternal life. That's why. Amen? Verses 26 and 27. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Those who are trying to deceive you with their deception. Verse 27. As for you, he says, the anointing you received from him, in other words, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, remains slash abides in you. Say abides in you. In other words, it doesn't come and go. It's permanent. It's permanent, right? Now notice the next phrase. And you do not need anyone to teach you. I want to stop there. Okay? Let me tell you what John is not saying. Okay? He's not saying that we have no need for pastors and teachers. Okay? Say okay. And some people will use what John said to state their case to not be committed to the local church, to be under anyone's teaching of the word. Okay? That's, that's, don't believe that. Okay? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, what Paul does, there he lists five offices to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. And two of those offices are what? Pastors and teachers who make God's word clear to us to instruct us in sound doctrine, doctrine, excuse me, and to show us how to live it out. Amen? Let me tell you what John is saying in context. They say context. John is saying that we who are true believers have no need for these other guys. Who's these other guys? False teachers. Got it? We don't need them for anything because what? They're false. That's what he's saying in context. Let's read on. But, say but. So John comes back to the anointing. As his anointing teaches you about all things, in other words, spiritual truth, sound doctrine, the capacity to recognize truth from error, right, the essentials of the Christian faith. And as the anointing is real, I love this, as the anointing is real, not what? Not counterfeit. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never teach us anything contrary 
contrary to the truth. If you believe that, say amen. Then he says this, just as it has, has, has taught you, has taught you, in other words, from the beginning of our salvation, remain, abide in him. Did you get that? And John is saying, stay in close fellowship with Jesus. Intimate, close communion, connection with Jesus. In other words, how do you do that? Let his word abide in us. Got it? Now let me give you a few ways how to abide in the word. You ready? Meditate on it. The word meditate simply means to chew on it over and over and over again. Like a cow chewing on cud. Okay? It's just thinking about it over and over again. Well, I don't know how to meditate. Let me ask you this. Do you know how to worry? Because worry is negative meditation. Are you guys with me? Think about God's Word. As you read God's Word, think about it daily. Have it in your mind, in the forefront of your mind, of your heart. Think about it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it day and night. Second thing is this. Memorize it. Memorize it. Okay? Memorize. Well, I just don't know how. Pastor, I have a hard time memorizing Scripture. Well, you memorize songs. You can sing old school songs like, boom, like that. Some of you memorize the menu at fast food restaurants and, right, places like that. You know what a number one is, a number five is, or what it might be, right? All right? Got it? Memorize it. Write it down and think about it over and over again. And the third thing is this. Mention it to someone. As I meditate on it, memorize it, then I'm going to mention it to someone. Now, follow me here. As you hear yourself share God's word with others, it has a way of permanently sealing it in your mind. In other words, here we go. You're hearing, I love this, you're hearing what's abiding in you. Got it? If you got it, say amen. Number four, we're almost done here, is appearing. Say that. Appearing, write that down. Antichrist, anointing, abiding. Number four is appearing. Verse 28. Verse 28. I don't know about you, but I'm loving this series. And now, dear children, true believers, right? He says, continue. Continue in him. Be occupied with Christ, obeying him, living every moment for him. Continue in him so that when he what? Come on. What? Appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his what? Coming. I want you to follow me here. At the return of Christ, and he's going to come back someday. Yeah? Okay. At the return of Christ, a Christian will either have confidence when he comes back or will shrink back in embarrassment. You guys with me? And what this verse teaches us, this verse teaches that every Christian, every Christian is going to give an account of their life to Christ. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Friends, there is coming a day of judgment for Christians, not for sin, not for your sin, but for your service. Got it? A day of judgment, not for your sin, but for service called the what? The judgment seat of Christ, known as the Bema seat. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We will not be judged for our sin. That's wiped out by the blood of Christ. Someone say amen. But we will be judged for our service. What did you do? 
with the gifts I've given you, God's going to say. Huh? Did you witness for me? Did you serve me? Were you a person of integrity? Did you do these things? So here's a lesson. You ready? Abide now so we won't be ashamed then. Abide now so we will not be ashamed then. Now question. If Jesus were to come back today, can, right? We don't know the time or day, but he does, right? If Jesus were to come back today, would he be pleased, pleased with what is revealed in our lives? Hmm? I always tell people all the time, I want to be caught in the act of serving and loving and witnessing for Jesus when he comes back. Amen? Abide now. Stay connected now so we will not be ashamed when he comes. Got it? Verse 29. Here we go. Last verse. If you know that he, Jesus, is what? Righteous. You know that everyone who does what is right, in other words, who practices righteousness, referring to the direction of of one's life, of one's lifestyle. Got it? So if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has what? Come on. Has been born of him. Do you get that? I want to read this again so it, it, it penetrates, it, it resonates. If you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, and he is, isn't he? You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So last lesson, I'll let you guys go after this, okay? Righteous Savior, righteous living. Righteous Savior, righteous living. If we know the righteous Savior, what John is saying, right? If we know the righteous Savior, there will be righteous living in our life. Now listen, not perfection, okay, got, guys, got it? Not perfection, but living in the right direction. Got it? He's not talking about, we'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. So he's not talking about perfection, but, but living, living in the right direction. In fact, when we're living in the right direction, this is what abiding looks like. Amen? When I'm practicing righteousness, when I'm walking in the right direction, that I'm living a righteous life and lifestyle, this is what abiding looks like. So question, is there a present in your life right now, present, a present practice of righteousness? I want you to think about it. I'm going to say it again, okay? Is there a present in your life right now, a present practice of righteousness? Hmm? Is there? And you see, a practice of righteousness is looking and living more and more like the one who saved you, who saved me. Amen? So we need to abide in the truth. And as believers, as the church, the church ought to be a support and a pillar 
of the truth, which means we should always stand up for the very truth of God's word. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you.